Amen. You may be seated and good morning. If I've not met you before, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. One thing I did want to mention, because, you know, we've talked a little bit about, <laughs> talked a lot today about money. If you're a guest, we don't ever ask a visitor to give. We're just delighted you're here. Having said that, some of you have been guests for a long time, and we would <laughs> love to invite you to join in with us and be a part of uh of what God's doing. And God's doing so many great things. I, I wish I had time. You know, we don't often talk about some of them, but one of them, for instance, we've got our baptism service coming up. And I know some of the stories. Of some of the folks are coming to be baptized. It's exciting. God changing lives. If you've accepted Christ but haven't followed them in believer's baptism, would love to have you a part of this. Uh, there's a class today, but you say, well, listen, I'd like to get baptized, but I, I can't make that class. Fine, sign up. We'll work with you on that. Um, I don't know that if you noticed, I, th I think it did uh, make the bulletin there, but, and again, we don't usually talk numbers, but since we're talking growth and need for things, uh, you know, last weekend we actually had uh, an all-time high weekend attendance uh, I'm nearly just short of 1,800, uh, so kind of a non-Easter, uh, non-Christmas, and so God's just doing some great things, and then, you know, I, I had to laugh, uh, Nick was nine years old, I had to ask him, you know, have I changed <laughs> 29 years, and he went, no, no. <laughs> But 29 years ago, when we started at Desert Springs, actually the first ministry we started was evangelism training. We've been doing it ever since because we just really believe the greatest way for us to reach this world with the gospel is each of us living on mission. And if you haven't taken or maybe you have, you want to kind of refresh her, get signed up. That begins next weekend. And then lastly, just remind all kind of our 50 plus, we're going to kind of do that hymn sing. We're going to talk about music a little bit today from this passage in uh, Revelation chapter 14. And so make sure you get signed up for that for the 50 plus hymn sing this coming uh, Friday night with our choir leading that. It's going to be a great time. If you got your Bibles, we're in the book of Revelation. This is what we do. We love to study God's Word. We're in Revelation chapter 14. And when you get to Revelation chapter 14, what you find is there's actually three unique visions that the Holy Spirit is giving John in this passage to remind us of how all of this is going to turn out. So today we're going to deal with that first vision. It's found in the first five verses, so I'm going to read them out loud. If you'll follow along in your Bible, that would be great. John says, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, like the sound of a loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from heaven, or for purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste 
These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth, and they are blameless. So, a new vision. The Lamb standing there on Mount Zion, Jerusalem. you look at this and and actually all three of these visions I think are a little bit in in response to what we've been talking about in chapters 12 and 13 so if you weren't with us chapter 12 detailed this historic conflict that has been happening between Satan since his fall and God and God attacking or, or Satan attacking God's people and primarily the Messiah And then you get to chapter 13, and you have two more players that are going to play a prominent part in this conflict at the end. You have have the beast, and then you have the false prophet. And in the midst of that, sometimes it becomes very heavy, right? This idea of of all of this evil that's going to happen. So they're going to actually literally, you go back to to chapter 13, and it talks about uh, there in verse 4, they worship the dragon. So they're worshiping Satan by worshiping the the beast. You look in verse 7, and it was given to the beast to make war with the saints and to overcome them to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe and tongue and nation. All, verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. You you almost get this sense that, man, Satan's going to win. Then you have the the false prophet show up, and he's doing all these miracles, creating this big statue, making everyone to worship the beast. And then you come to chapter 14, and it was kind of like, whoa, 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 just slow down, right? Don't get discouraged, because the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion. The vision is, the, the, the terminology here that we would use for this type of language is proleptic. It, it views the final outcome as already have happened. Right, So it it foreshadows Revelation 19 when Jesus returns on the white horse of the second coming. He slays his enemy with the sword that comes out of his mouth. The the beast and, and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Satan is cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. It's as though it's already done because we're not quite there yet. There's still some more judgments that gotta be poured out, but we're getting close. It almost reminds us of Revelation chapter 11 kind of right there in the middle of the tribulation where he announces the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Christ and he will reign forever it's it's just as good as done folk the lamb wins the lamb wins no matter how dark it looks no matter how it looks like Satan is maybe getting the upper hand the lamb wins wins and can I just remind you that in this crazy world in which we live where there seems to be so much going on that is pushing against God and ignoring the fact that he exists and literally at times you get the idea they just want to shake their 
fist in the hand of God, just remember, just remember, the lamb wins. The lamb wins. And when you think of this lamb, you're not going back to chapter 13. So remember when the the false prophet, the beast that came up out of the land, it said he had two horns like a lamb. Not referencing that. What it's referencing is Revelation chapter 5. Remember that that's kind of the most important chapter in the book of Revelation. There's this scroll, this book. It's got seven seals written on the outside of it, probably the idea of who's worthy to open it. On the inside, what's got to be done to, to get back everything that man had lost. And you remember that they were looking for someone worthy to open that scroll, and no one is found. And John begins to weep, and even weep hysterically. And then finally, Nelder says, don't weep, one's been found. And he says, I looked and I saw a lamb. A lamb as it had been slain. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who is worthy to open the book, to reclaim, to execute the things that need to be done, to bring this world back under its rightful dominion. The lamb. I find it interesting here, though, this is not seeing him as the sacrificial lamb, the lamb slain, but as the victorious lamb. He wins. But can I just remind you today that no matter what's going on in this world, the lamb wins. No matter how people want to shake their fists in the face of God, the lamb wins. What Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2 is going to happen, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're on the winning team. Don't give up. Don't turn away. Don't get discouraged. The lamb wins. In the midst of the mess of the world today, in the mess of the world here, in the middle of the tribulation, it's as good as done. He's lamb. As the lamb is the Lord over all the earth, every knee will bow. Now, what we find then is something interesting in verse 2 he says and i heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters like the sound of a loud thunder and the voice which i heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures so what we read is that in the midst of all this with this 144,000 we're going to talk about them in a moment right because that goes back to Revelation 7 these, these Jewish evangelists but there's a new song that is being sung from heaven and before we skip on I, I just want you to look at verse 2 again and look at the, the words that John uses to paint this picture I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters the sound of loud thunder the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing with the harps you know so often when we think about heaven we think of the visual imagery uh, the streets of gold in fact such pure gold it's transparent 
Uh, we think about the throne room of God and, and the rainbow that's wrapped around it and, and the beauty of the visual aspects of it. But what John is reminding us here is that it's not just, it's not just visual, it's audio. Right? The great God in his majesty, when he speaks... When they sing, when trumpets are sounded, I mean, the beauty of his majesty, unlike anything that we have ever heard. You know, on that day, they're, they're not going to have speakers that go out, right? Highs and lows, right? It's, it's perfect sound. And wrapped up in that sound is this new song that is being sung from heaven. Now, what's interesting about this is just at a kind of a cursory look, because it talks about how the 144,000 are the only ones that can learn it, you almost get the idea of just thinking, well, it's these 144,000 that are singing this song. But that's not actually what it says. So you have the view here on earth, the lamb standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000, but in verse 2, I heard from heaven. So the voices here singing are not the voices of the 144,000. And in verse 3, it says, and they sang a new song. So the question is, who's the they? Who is the they in heaven that is singing this song that the 144,000 are learning? It's a great question. I wish I had a good answer for you. Because we're not told. Now you go back to chapter 5, and you, you see the, uh, the four living creatures and the elders that sing a song before the Lord. You also sing, see also there, I believe, in the end of uh, chapter 4, like all of creation singing. But who is it that is the they? And, and the answer is we really don't know. But I kind of, I've got to, I've got to guess. So you remember chapter 6, he begins to open the seven seals. And as you get into chapter 7, I believe it's the sixth seal that's opened up. And that judgment that comes is, is about martyrdom. And you have these souls who have been martyred for the name of Christ who are under the throne of God and they're crying out, Lord, how long? How long until you avenge our blood? How long until you bring justice? And you remember God says, just wait a little bit longer. Wait until the whole number is filled up, right? Because there's going to be a lot of martyrdom to come here. Kind of wonder if the ones that sing this new song are the ones who have already been delivered from all of this through death because it's a song of redemption I mean you see it twice here you see it at the end of verse 3 uh, the 144,000 who have been purchased from the earth you also see it again at the end of verse 4 these have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to lamb so this song seems to be a song of redemption a song of deliverance of God's faithfulness you know we just sang you know why will he fail now he won't 
And that's what they're singing, maybe even to encourage the 144,000 to, to go on, to move on. They sang this song, this song of redemption. The 144,000 were able to learn. Now, let me take a little aside here. Because music is such an important piece of a believer's worship. Now, every once in a while, somebody will come up and bless their hearts. I think they're probably trying to get in good with me. But their point is, is I wish we had less worship and more preaching. Right? And the moment they say that, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because two things. One is, is that they don't understand that for every one of them, there's three that goes, we should have more worship and less preaching. Right? So there's that. But the other piece is this. Worship is so important. Christians from the very beginning of time have always been known as the singers. Why? Because it is part of our worship, because of what God does in our heart. It, it just it comes out. I mean, you go back to the book of Psalms, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his goodness. Good tidings. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song in his praise in the congregation, the godly. Singing is a part of what God, the way he made us, that when we are living in thankfulness and we're living in that knowledge of God, that that's just kind of how it comes out. In fact, you see it in the book of Ephesians. And again, in the Colossians, Paul tells us, Hey, we need to actually sing to one another the things of, of, of the words that will encourage singing to our, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts of the Lord. Singing is so important because it, it, it's that expression of what we're feeling in our heart and we're so so thankful i'm thankful for the artistic people right because i i can't do that i don't i don't that's not how my brain works but how we appreciate our our worship team every weekend that comes and, and god has gifted them to lead us in that and those who can write the beautiful words and, and put it out you know why would he fail now he won't Right, and we're encouraged and we learn those words and, and sometimes we sing them in great praise and quite honestly, there are those moments I'm sure some of you have experienced. It's in the depths of despair that we sing those words in faith because it seems like in this moment maybe he has failed, but we know he hasn't. We know the day just has not come to see how it's all gonna play out and so we sing it in faith. Singing is so important. It's a, such an important part of what we do. It's why we always encourage people, man, to get here on time, right? Because we're going to sing. And that's what we are called to do. And they're going to sing a new song. 
<laughs> I got to hurry, all right? Here's a, here we go. Let's, let's talk about the 144,000. So you go back to verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion. Which, by the way, I, I should have mentioned this earlier. But one of the Psalms that John has referenced so many times in the book of Revelation is Psalm 2. The idea that the, the nations rage against God and God sits in the heavens and laughs. I think this is what he's referencing here. You go to Psalm 2.6, he says, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. He shall break them with a rod of iron. He will shatter them like earthenware. 14.1, then I looked and behold, the lamb is standing where? Mount Zion. And with him are these 144,000. Now, the 144,000 we've already been introduced to. It's Revelation chapter 7. You can go back and look at it. And what we talked about is that they seem to be Jewish evangelists who have been sealed by God to take the gospel. He even talks about which tribes they they come from. But they're to take the gospel. You know, one of the pieces that sometimes people push back at me about when when we talk about how things are going to play out and that I believe, and as a church, we, we, we hold to the idea that the rapture happens before the tribulation. It's like, well, how then does anybody get saved in the tribulation? Well, I think a couple things. One is, we talked about last week, stage setting and how the stage is being set. Well, think about that digitally. You know, YouTube is still going to be there when we're gone. Do you know how many testimonies there are of Christians on YouTube sharing the gospel? It's going to live on, right? So the, all these people disappear. You know, they're going to be talking to aliens. People are going to be looking. I think they're going to hear testimony. But the primary way that people are going to come to faith in Christ during the tribulation are these 144,000 Jewish preachers who are going to go around the world. So if you remember in Matthew chapter 24, which is the Reader's Digest version of the book of Revelation, Jesus said, and in that day, the gospel will be preached to every corner of the world. How? These 144,000. They're going to go preach the gospel. Notice that they've got his name written, which is obviously in great contrast to chapter 13. Those that worship the beast get his mark on their forehead back of their hand or in their forehead it's who they're following who they belong to these these are marked on their forehead with the name of God that's who they belong to that's who's protecting them and they are going and they are preaching the gospel but the focus here isn't so much what they're doing that was chapter 7 this is on their character and there's three things here three pieces that I thought were really significant that would apply to us today. The first thing that he tells us there in verse 4, these are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women for they have kept themselves chaste. They, They walk in sexual purity. Now let me talk about this for a moment. Because when it says chaste there, it basically means they're virgins. 
And I don't want you to misunderstand what John is saying here. John is not saying that somehow sexual relations, even within marriage, is wrong and bad and defiles, right? Because it's women, all they do is defile you. That's not what he's saying, okay? God, God very specifically made us and gave us our sexuality, but he put really tight pieces on where it's going to be done. And that is within the bonds of marriage, the commitment of marriage. For this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother is joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. And so I, I think there's a reason why specifically these are, are virgins, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But, but the point is, the bigger point, is that they walk in sexual purity. And what a great reminder to us that as God is looking for those who will take his message today, this sexual purity is a big thing. And yet we live in a culture where kind of everything goes, right? Whatever you feel like. And then, you know, and then as Christians, we get, well, you know, it's like we get really upset about this kind of sex that's outside of marriage, but really not so much over here. And it's like, no, 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 no. God designed for all of us to walk in purity. And the Christian ethic is, is that sexual intimacy is reserved for marriage between a husband and wife. And, and by the way, there it's very important. In fact, I would even argue, 1 Corinthians 7, that if there isn't sexual intimacy in your marriage, you're all also living in sin that's what god designed it for but we have you know romans 12 don't let the world squeeze you into its mold and as as the church of jesus christ i think we have because we just are gonna we're gonna live however first thessalonians 4 Paul puts it like this, for this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Dun, 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 dun. Here it is. You can't miss it. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Oh, by the way, we don't have time, but the word immorality there is from pornea. It has the idea of just any sexual pieces that are outside of how God created it which is in the bonds of marriage later on uh first corinthians he says this flee immorality every other sin that a man commits is outside the body but the immoral man sins against his own body sexual purity is important folk why look at the last three words of verse five no lie was found in their mouth for they are blameless blameless you know i grew up in a culture where certain things were frowned upon like if a uh, if somebody was dating and they got you know as a couple they got married or they got pregnant before they got married that was frowned on it's not frowned on anymore right other things like that way outside of biblical norm front so so 
when we think about blameless, I don't think that the idea here is blame from the world because there is no more blame from the world, right? You just live however you want to live. But the reason these guys are so effective is because they are blameless from the accuser of the brethren. You see, this is what ties up so many Christians, right? We rationalize that nobody in the world's going to say, oh, hey, you're living with the girlfriend, or you're doing this, or you're doing that. You know, we just go on. But in our hearts, because we have the Holy Spirit, there's that sense that it's wrong. And so now you have the enemy that sits on your shoulder and goes, hey, how, do you, how can you say you love Jesus? How could God use you? Right? He takes that and brings guilt and shame, and it keeps us from now living on the mission that God has given us. That's why we need to live blameless. We need to live in accordance with God's word. And the beauty is, is that all of us can do it. Right? None of us can fix yesterday except Jesus and how he fixes yesterday is we confess it, he forgives it he takes as far as the way as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again by the way and he says walk with me today do what's right today live blameless today these men are effective because they're blameless, not just on the outside, but with the accuser, the brethren. The second thing it tells us is that next phrase in verse 4. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They follow Jesus with all their heart, mind, body, strength, right? They've taken up their cross no matter what it costs. I think this is the reason why it says that specifically that they're, they're virgins. They've stayed chaste. Why? Well, because the time is short. There's seven years left. You've got to go get the message out. You don't have time for a wife. You don't have time for a family. This kind of ties into what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians when he says, you know, I wish that those of you who were single were like me. You could do this because you can just give yourself fully to the gospel. And I think that's the idea that these guys just said, Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what. And that means I don't get married and have a family. It's okay because time's short. We got to get the gospel going. And for us, it's just a reminder that wherever we are, this is the way we need to live. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to surrender all. I'm going to no turning back, Right? Now, I do have to care for my wife. I do have to care for my kids. I have to care for my family. But my number one priority is to follow in Jesus. Yeah. And then the last thing he mentions is that there was no lie found in their mouth. They are people of truth. They're people of truth. Now, obviously that seems, you know, not that big of a thing, right? We know, don't. You know, lay aside every falsehood, speak truth, yeah? But think of the world in which they're living in. They're living in a world of deception. They're living in a world where a false prophet is pushing forth the, the, the Antichrist as God. And oh, by the way, don't think that that's really simple deception. Jesus said in Matthew 24 again, he said, you know, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. 
The deception is strong. But they speak truth, but they also live in truth, which is what is so important that what you hear and what you see, you lay it down next to the word of God and you live in truth. How are we supposed to live today? Well, number one, we're supposed to live in purity. We're to, to live in a way that we are blameless, not just on the outside and what everybody says, but, but also from the enemy. That we live fully devoted to following Jesus and that we live in truth, not just the truth that we say, but we take everything that we hear and all that this world throws at us and we lay it down next to the word of God so that we live in truth and not in lies. And that's, that's how God uses them to change a world.